This morning, um, I am going to take a break from our normal sermon series um, in the book of John um, to preach on a word that actually does not appear in John's gospel. In fact, it's the only gospel that does not have this word in it. In fact, in all of John's writings, he only says this word once. And this is the word mercy. This morning, I would like to talk to you about mercy, and I'm, I'm in the middle of saying, Lord, wh- which direction do you want to head with this this morning? And so I, I, I covet your prayers as we dive into this this morning. I'm reminded of a story that I, I told on my daughter's a birthday party a couple days ago. Um, today is actually her 12th birthday, and uh, so she's celebrating and having fun today. Um, my heart is with her. Um, I remember when my daughter was maybe, she might have been two, and we were teachers over at the intermediate school there in Berryville, and it had just rained, and we were working in the classroom and looked out onto the playground where our kids had been playing Kai and Kayla four and two playing out there on that little playground and uh, when I looked out the window there was Michaela Nicole stark naked I said oh my goodness I I did what all good parents do I grabbed my phone and got ready to film uh, which I will not be showing you this morning Um, went out there it said, Michaela, what are you doing? What Michaela had done was she had decided that she needed to play in the mud because it was there. Right? That's what kids do. And as she was playing in the mud, she had another realization. I'm muddy. And my parents don't want me to be muddy. And so she had a solution to the problem, which was to strip every article of clothing that was covered in mud until the girl had not one stitch of clothing on her. And go out there, Michaela, we do not get naked on the playground. Things you never like think you're going to say as a parent. How many of you have had things like that in your life? Things you never thought you'd say as a parent. And the words come in your mouth and out of your mouth, you think, I can't believe I'm saying this right now. Um, oh, my goodness. And so... We, uh, we cleaned her up, and, and she was so repentant, guys. I said, why are you naked? She said, well, I was playing, and I got muddy. Where are your clothes? Her clothes were in, like, buried under the mud pile. She had hid them under the mud, right? And so, you know, we pack her up and clean her up. And, and I, I, I look at that, and I... I see it so much as our condition as human beings that we, we in and of ourselves, we are muddy and we're dirty and we're unclean. The Scripture tells us that all have sinned. All of us are dirty and disgusting before a, a pure and holy God. And when we realize it, Everything we try to do to fix it on our own only makes it worse. Only exposes our shame and our nakedness and our vulnerability 
even more. And we think we're fixing it. It's, it's only through the mercy of God that we can ever truly find freedom, truly fix it. I, I see this, this inattention to mercy creeping into the church. And I don't mean F-hop. I mean in, in, into the church in America. We forget that mercy is a thing. Um, it's probably because we're Americans and we're proud to be Americans. We're, you know, at least we know we're free. And, and pride is a good thing. It's good to be proud. But at some point, we become so proud that we're no longer humble. And when we're no longer humble, we're no longer a people who believe we need mercy. Because we're okay. We can do it on our own. We don't need anybody else. We have no need of your mercy, Lord. And I, I see it. I, I see it. And it, if, we, if we lose sight of what mercy is, first, it, it affects how we interact with the lost, with those who don't know Christ. If we don't truly understand mercy, then it changes the way we interact with people who don't know Jesus. And if we truly don't understand mercy, it affects how we have fellowship with one another. It can be detrimental to a relationship if mercy isn't at the center of the way we, we fellowship and have a relationship. And, and last and most importantly, it, it sets us on a wrong trajectory in our relationship with God Himself when we do not accurately understand what mercy is. If I were to name this sermon, I'd name it out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, and it says this. It says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This morning, friends, I... I agree with the sermon I preached a couple weeks ago on grace and how we are sons and daughters and we can confidently go before God. And I'm so thankful for the grace of God. It's a real thing. And, and that would be one part of this sermon. But the other part is that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And, th and this word fearful here is isn't just like out of respect for God. This, this word fearful is actually, it's like where we get the word phobia. It's, that's the word. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so, while yes, we should, we should feel safe with the Lord and, and love Him and trust Him, at the same time, there should be enough humility in us to realize that He is the God who, who breathes stars out. He has no need of us. It, it blows my mind. They, they just released the new uh, James Webb telescope into space and they continually come back with these, these images from space of all of these galaxies. Like, and each of these galaxies has as many stars as our galaxy. And you just, my mind is blown. Like every time a new image comes back, I feel a little little bit more insignificant in the grand scheme to, 
of things. I'm a little more humble. I, I don't think I need to go into great detail to remind you that our nation desperately needs Christ. Like they don't, they don't need a good political party. They don't need a great president. They don't need everyone to vote a certain way on an issue. Like we don't need a certain celebrity to rise up and speak truth. What we need is Christ and we need him desperately. And this morning, you might say, but, like, that's good, Pastor Drew, I agree, but I'm good. I'm doing okay. And I would, I would greatly caution you this morning, if there's ever a time in your life where you sit there and you say, but I'm okay, I'm good, it could be one of two things. It could be, yes, that you're okay or that you're good. Or it could be that you're so walking in deception, you don't even realize that you're in desperate need of new mercies this morning. And far too many times in my own life, I found myself in that place where I thought I was okay, and then I just got vulnerable for the Lord, like, Lord, am I really okay? And he goes, what about this, Drew? And he, he puts his finger on an area of my life that I'm not surrendered in, and all over again, I have to say, Lord, I need your mercy again. In Revelation 3.17, it's, it's Jesus talking to the church of Laodicea and He tells them, He says, You say that you are rich and have prospered and you need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. Like we think we're good, we think we fixed it, but we're standing there naked in the mud, not realizing that we're completely in need for someone to come and save us. We need the mercy of God. We believe grace is a real thing. And how many are thankful for the grace of God this morning? I, I am fully thankful for the grace of God. I stand before you this morning confessing that I have, I have used the grace of God and I have had seasons in my life where I have abused the grace of God. We, many of us know the story of the prodigal son. I, I think I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. The story of the son who said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. And this is the story Jesus tells, right? And so this son... He, he runs off and lives in wild living. Prostitutes and partying and all the things. Until he spent all the money, he has nothing left. And when he has nothing left, he's, he's feeding himself with, with the most unclean garbage you can imagine for that culture in that day. And it says he, he comes to himself. He says, wait, even my dad's servants have it better than I do. I'm just going to go back to my dad and say, Dad, I, I don't deserve to be your son. He, what is he saying? He's saying, Dad, I, I just need your mercy. I need your mercy. And mind you, this is a story Jesus is telling that the son came to the realization, I need mercy. 
And it says while he was a long way off, the father saw him coming and, and embraced him and wouldn't even let the son get his, his apology speech out of his mouth. He says, no, 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 you're not going to be a servant. There's no, there's no servants in my house. There's only sons. And that's what I talked about a couple weeks ago. That's the grace of God. Like, you don't deserve anything good. And God in his grace, he's like, no, no, no. You're not going to be a servant. You're my son, and I'm going to restore your place as my son. But this is where we miss the point of mercy is then what do we do as the prodigal son? We go, well, my dad's really rich. And so we do it to him again. We look at him again and say, you know, he forgave me last time. And we leave again. But this time instead of, and this is not Jesus' story, but at this time instead of, finding ourselves in the hog trough, realizing that we're in desperate need of a Savior again, we say, we shrug, look at our buddies and say, hey, you know what? My dad's rich. We'll just go back. And we continually do this. Instead of coming to our father and saying, dad, I screwed up, we kick the door down and say, hey, I'm home. Forgive me again. And we don't realize the cost of our error. We don't realize the cost of our sin. Romans chapter 2, it, it tells us this thing. It says, do you presume on the riches of His kindness? Is there, are you just assume God is so rich in kindness that He's just going to keep going along with the way we live? His forbearance, His patience, not knowing that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. The kindness of God isn't so you can kick the door and say, hey, I messed up, forgive me again. The kindness of God, His grace and His mercy is meant to change our hearts till we say, no, I don't want to be a part of that anymore because I know it hurts you, Dad. I know it's costly to you, Father. How costly is it? The cost is the blood of Jesus. Right? The cost is the blood of Jesus that was shed on that cross. Turn with me to, to Romans. And I, I just want to say, man, Romans starts out so encouraging. Paul, he's talking to the church and once again, he's talking to the church in Rome and he's He's telling them like how much he thanks God for them and how like how wonderful it is that they're serving the Lord. Like it starts off so well and then he starts talking about the gospel. And in verse 18 he says this. He says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that are made, so they are without excuse. For they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became 
futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened and claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 28 says, they did not seek fit to acknowledge God, so God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with All manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. I I noticed we're we're all against gossip unless it's with our spouse. I noticed that the other day. Someone's like, you know, I don't gossip. I just talk to my wife about things. It's like, well, you just gossip with your spouse. It's still gossip, friends. Even if it's with your spouse. Well, they need to know everything I know. They're slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judge of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge, who practice such things, and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impotent hearts, you are storing up wrath for for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render each one according to his works. The the issue is we read passages like this and we say, not me. This is talking about other people, not me. And I'm saying this morning, this, this passage is talking about you. Like you specifically. It's talking to Drew. It's it's talking to Jamie, our youth pastor. If it's talking to us, it's talking to the rest of you. We agree, right? Jamie and I have agreed this is talking about all of you. If it has to hit us, it has to hit you. Sorry, I put you on the spot. The scripture says all have sinned. And then it says in 1 John, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. And you say, well, it means past. I I was a sinner. I'm telling you today, like, we too easily let ourselves off the hook because we say, I'm good. I'm okay. And the the issue is that as we we enter into that kind of of heart, that kind of like, well, I'm, I'm okay. It's everybody else that needs to change. Like this, this word isn't, this Bible right here, can I tell you this morning, this is not for any one of you. This, this Bible right here is for Drew. It's for me. And I need it so much more desperately than any of the rest of you. 
And you have to get to that place in your life where you realize you need the Word of God more than anyone else in your life and to crave it and eat it and just devour it with every bit of tenacity you have. Say, God, I need you. I'm nothing without you. I'm desperate for you. The moment you wake up and you say, I'm good, it's, it's like it's a sickness. When a kid is sick, you, you have to force them to eat. When your kid is sick, you say, here, here's some chicken noodle soup. And they're like, well, I don't want that. I'm not hungry for that. And you say, no, you don't understand. You need nutrients. You need to eat. You need the pity light. You need the Gatorade. You need something in your system. And you would wake up some days and say, no, but I'm good. You're not good. You're sick. You need the mercy of God. Go with me to Psalms. We'll go to the 130th Psalm, a song of accents. This, this song, it says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Oh Lord, hear my voice. Have you ever been in one of those moments where just the, like you were crying to God out of the deepest parts of your being, out of the, out of the pit of your heart, there's just a cry arose from you, God. Hear my voice. And what have we heard this morning from these testimonies is when we cry, Lord, hear our voice. He hears our prayers this morning. Amen. That's what we learned this morning from these testimonies. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. God, I need your mercy. Can I tell you today, we think we need a lot of things. We think we need a bigger paycheck or a better car or a better looking spouse or something. I'm sorry you're stuck with. We, we think we need all sorts of things. But the only thing we really are in need of this morning is the mercy of God. He, he is such a righteous judge. He is such a righteous judge. You're like, well, well he's, he's good. He, he loves us, so he'll forgive me. But, but we don't understand that good judges don't just let people go. If someone broke into my house and tried to stab my wife and then went before the judge and the judge said, well, I'm... I'm a good judge. I'm full of love and mercy and grace. I'm just going to let you go. I would not think that's a good judge. I would think that's an evil judge. An evil judge would let that man go after he tried to attack my wife. That's an evil judge. And what are we saying about God? That, that He is an evil judge? Because He just decides, well, I'm just going to let sin go. That would be, God is not an evil judge. We, we need His mercy. We, we've committed a crime against the holy creator of the universe. Do you not understand? Like, this is something we have to understand this morning. The holy, perfect creator of the universe. We've offended Him. We've broken His law. And at this point, we must come to Him and cry for mercy. And this is what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, to the voice of my pleas for mercy, listen 
Verse 3 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Another version says it like this, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who could ever survive? If you would mark our iniquities, who could stand? There is not one. All have sinned. But verse 4 goes on with this hope of good news. But with you, there is forgiveness. Why? That you may be feared. Like, we have to understand that the, the forgiveness of the Lord is not something that we can just be like, oh, it's great, I'm forgiven. And then we just we feel great about ourselves. Like, We, we falsely begin to believe that we're something great because we've been walking with the Lord successfully. Like, and, and don't get me wrong, it's good that we want to walk with the Lord successfully. It's good to walk in obedience to the Lord. Um, but we falsely believe like, man, I've, I've been walking really well with the Lord. Like I haven't been I haven't been cussing or drinking or sleeping around. I haven't been doing any of those things anymore. Lord, I'm I'm doing great. And I would say, hold on. Like be careful of that statement. Like if there's anything good in you, it's only through Jesus Christ. Like I'm proud of you for, for being obedient to the Lord, but but those are the moments you want to be like just say, wait a minute, like is this about you or is it about the mercy of Jesus in you? We don't realize that even, even on our best day, even, even, even when we're really doing a great job, we're nothing more than broken and wretched and naked and hopeless and destitute and poor and bankrupt and in desperate need of, of a king to come in and, and save us. Titus 3, 5, it says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. The Scripture tells us that like, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of God. Like, we realize like, it wasn't that God looked down at you and goes, oh, how sweet. How adorable. I need to save them. Like God looked down at us and He saw enemies. He saw enemies that were destined for wrath. And yet in His compassion and His mercy, He looked at us and said, I'm going to save them from themselves. I'm going to save them from the error of their ways. And, and when we preach things like this, we think, well, you're talking about sin and I don't, I'm not doing those big sins anymore. Not realizing like, that word sin simply means to miss the mark. The Scripture tells us if you know to do good and don't do it, that's sin. 
It's not just like, man, I went out and punched somebody in the face today. Yes, that's sin. Don't go out and punch someone in the face today. But if the Lord puts something on your heart, like we don't realize, like if the Lord tells you, hey, I, I want you to give 100 bucks to this person. And you're like, nope, not doing it, God. Like you just missed the mark. You knew to do good and you didn't do it. You didn't do the thing God call, called you to do. You didn't walk in obedience to the Father. And the scripture calls that sin. And so like we try to like dismiss, like when the Bible says evil, you go, go study the word evil in the Bible sometimes. When the, where the Bible says evil, we think Hitler. He was evil, we all agree. Nobody raised their hand, according to this for the audio. Well, let's try that again. Hitler was evil. Now I've got full um, participation. <laughs> we all agree Hitler was evil. But when the Bible says evil, it's also talking about the kid who sneaks a cookie out of the cookie jar even though the parents told them not to. Like, that's the same kind of evil that separates us from God. And, and we, we don't see it that way. Like, Drew in and of himself, he's evil. And I, I need the mercy of God. And the problem is, is when we when we don't accurately understand, yes, the Scripture tells us that we can boldly go to the throne of grace to find help in the time of need. But do you realize the posture of the heart when we go before that throne of grace boldly isn't this, oh, Dad's just going to forgive me. I always screw up and you always forgive me. That's, that's not the heart of the Father for your life. But there's this humility. This humility that says, I have screwed up. And Father, I need you. My heart cries out, Father, I need you. And that's, that's how you know you're saved. Is that when you screw up your heart, you're like, well, Pastor, I keep screwing up. Yeah, but every time does your heart cry out, Father, I need you. I'm sorry. I don't want to be this way. I need you. And it, and it affects our relationships with one another. When we realize that we've been forgiven of much, Jesus told the story of of a, of a king who forgave a guy of like tons of money, millions of dollars. This king forgives this guy of millions of dollars. He was going to have that guy thrown in prison and all these other things. And then that guy, as soon as he gets forgiven of all this debt, walks out into the street and sees this guy who owes, owes him a few bucks and grabs the guy by the shirt and says, where's my money? He's just been forgiven of millions. He grabs this guy by the shirt and says, where's my money? And has the guy thrown in jail. He had just received mercy. But can I tell you, he didn't really receive it. Because then when it came time to show mercy to someone else, he was like, nope, not happening. So you know what the king did? He was like, you know what? You don't understand mercy. So you're not receiving mercy. So he had the guy imprisoned as well. And so this is what happens when we believe that we're so great. We begin to treat others with that same kind of cavalier attitude. Like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. Even though I've received mercy, it doesn't mean I have to show you mercy. And then become, it, it can become a... Like my family, something we struggle with is sarcasm. There's nothing 
full of less mercy than sarcasm. And yeah, it's funny, but man, it's wounding. It's, there's no mercy in it. When we don't show those around us mercy, we have this, this sense of false righteousness in and of ourselves. Romans is, is so clear about the solution to this whole thing. Like, it's so clear. It tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of God's righteous standard, His glorious standard. Like, and, and can I tell you again this morning, I'm not talking to the person next to you. I'm talking to you. But then there's this, this wonderful thing to realize that when Jesus, He who knew no sin, was made to be sin, like when He hung on the cross, all the errors of our ways, all the times we missed the mark, all the times we snuck the cookie out of the cookie jar, punched someone in the face, when Jesus was hanging on that cross, like His precious blood pays for our sin. And so, like, if I can implore you, like the next time, like, next time... You, your, your spouse or that relationship with that significant other, next time they, they, they come at you, like, can I tell you, the blood of Jesus was good enough for your sin, so it's good enough for you to cover their sin. The Scripture tells us love covers a multitude of sins. That's just mercy being played out in real time. Like, I've experienced the costly mercy of love through the blood of Jesus and so now I want to extend that same mercy to the people around me. I know this is heavy this morning, but I think it's good. It would be so good for in our house of prayer if over the next week, two weeks, that you would incorporate conversations about mercy in your family. Like, like my hope is that around the dinner table some week, someday this week, that someone would say, hey, let's talk about what Pastor Drew said about mercy. Let's talk about what is mercy to help your children understand mercy. You and your spouse maybe get real authentic with each other and say, you know, I, I, I need to confess I haven't been showing you mercy like I should. If God is merciful and I am created in His image, if I'm supposed to, as a believer, be what Jesus is, then I should be merciful to you. The Scripture tells us that blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Robert, can you join me? I think one of my, my biggest struggles is And I, does anybody know somebody that like absolutely doesn't deserve any mercy at all? It's not a trick question. It's like, what is he talking about? Is it me? It's, it's me. The answer is me. Yes, the answer is you. But man, I, like, I have a list. What I'm trying to say is I have a list of people that I think they're on the never deserve mercy ever again list. Right? We have those people in our lives like, pfft, they even talk to me.
And yet my heart would be that we would have the heart of Christ for every person in our lives. Like the reality is none of us deserve mercy, right? And there's people that have offended us and wronged us. I, I tried to tell someone this week they were so upset. They've been so bitter. And I tried to tell them, I said, you know, bitterness, unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Like when we walk in unforgiveness, did you realize unforgiveness is just simply a lack of showing mercy? When we walk in that, what we're doing is we're carrying around this hurt. And the other person might just be living life just fine. And it's just us that gets affected. Can I, can I tell you, like, the part that hurts the most is, like, I don't think we truly realize how much those who don't know Christ need the mercy of God. Like, we just read it in Romans. Like, if you don't know Christ, you're storing up the wrath of God on yourself. You're storing it up. And the day is coming where He will pour out His wrath on sin. And yes, yours and mine too. And, and it's heavy and it's hard. And, and, and I apologize. I, it's not often I get, get up here and just rail on sin. But the reality is, is the lost, if they don't have Jesus, God will give them, He will pay them for their sin. The wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. And the lost need Jesus. They need the mercy of Christ. And can I tell you, guys, we live in a culture that I believe with all my heart is way more open to listening to the gospel than, than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. I spoke with, with a, a young person the other day. They're just like, who's Judas? I just spent 20 minutes describing them who Judas was. Now, I conveniently included a lot about the gospel as I was describing Judas. But they were, they were all in. They wanted to hear it. Because we live in a culture that knows nothing of the Bible. They don't know the Word of God. And they're hungry. They're hungry for mercy because we live in a culture that does not show mercy. We live in cancel culture. You mess up once 10 years ago, you're done. There is no mercy. But we have a God of second chances. But can I tell you this morning, mercy must be received with humility, saying, God, I am nothing. God, I humble myself before you. And what does that do? One, it must us realize, first of all, that those, those that, that don't know Jesus, they need the mercy of God. And we need to be telling them about the goodness of our Lord. About the mercy of God for forgiveness of their sins. And what if they respond, Drew, what if they respond, I don't need His mercy, I'm fine. Then we continue to pray that God will get a hold of their heart till they realize one day they are desperately in need of His mercy. But we don't quit. Second, to the relationships around us. That we would look, the people around us now, our coworkers, our, our family our spouse, and we look in the eye and 
and we would do our best to extend mercy to them. Because we are recipients of a great gift in this mercy. And last, it's for ourselves. That this mercy, if we truly get our eyes on mercy, what it does is it humbles us. It brings our heart to a posture where we can interact with those around us and the lost in a way that doesn't come across as, you know, I'm so much better than you. I have Jesus. To the point where, like when I'm sitting with my D group, my disciple making group, and we're talking about our highs and lows for the week, if I'm able to say, you know, I've had a good week, I'm realizing it's just because of the mercy of God working in my life. Not because I finally, here's the recipe for a great life, guys. I figured it out. If I had that, if I knew how to make your next week go great, I'd let you know. All I can do, all I can do is say, mercy is a real thing. I need it. You need it. And I, I see, I'll end the way I begin, I see just inklings. I, I don't think this is a, I don't think this is a problem in our congregation yet. A lack of showing one another mercy. I don't think it is. But every now and then I see little things pop up here and there and I'm like, that's not mercy. That's not, that's not mercy. And so as a shepherd of this congregation, as, a, as the pastor, I could say, well, I'll wait till it becomes a problem and then I'll bring it up. Or, or I could get up one Sunday and say, y'all, we, we want to be a people of mercy. Let, let me remind you who we are before this becomes an issue of our lives. Let, let me remind you who we are as people of God. You know who we are? We are people who have received mercy by the blood of Jesus on the, on the cross that he, he shed that blood for us. It was mercy that saved us. To remind you that we are people who show one another mercy. To remind you that we are people who realize that the lost are in desperate need of the mercy of a, of a Savior. I'd like to read you, if you'll stand with me, I'd like to read you the lines of a song. Written three decades ago. It's called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. If you just close your eyes as I read this this morning. It says, How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross. My sin upon His shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. 
until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. This morning, if if you're standing in this place today and you said, Pastor Drew, I've I've never surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I've maybe I've heard of him. I've heard about him dying on the cross. I've heard that he's risen from the dead. But Pastor Drew, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. This morning, I want to give you that opportunity. If you're a believer in the place today, just begin to pray. God became a man. That man's name is Jesus. You see, the enemy, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come to give life and life more abundantly. And you heard me say it a while ago, sin brings death, but Jesus brings life. And this morning, if you need to surrender your life to Jesus, to give your life to Him, to trust in Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If you just look me in the eye, if that's you this morning, say, I... I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Just look me in the eye. Thank you. Thank you. Congregation, I I don't normally do a sinner's prayer because I don't think there's anything magic about it, but this morning I want to lead us all in a prayer to surrender our lives to Christ. So if you pray this prayer and you mean it, something different is going to be in your heart and your life. Now, you can say these words, there's nothing magic in it, nothing can change. But if you pray these prayers and you mean it, then the Lord's going to do something in you. Will you pray with me? Congregation, we say, Jesus... I recognize You as Savior and Lord. I surrender my life to You. I've sinned. I've missed the mark. I've messed up. I've tried to do it on my own and I've failed. I believe You are God. That You died and that You rose from the dead. 
and you desire a relationship with me, this morning I say yes. This morning I say yes to you, Jesus. I say yes, I need your mercy. Yes, I need your grace. Yes, I need you desperately. Scripture tells us that if you believe in your heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you're saved. So I encourage if you prayed that prayer just now, it's time to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You need to tell somebody, hey, I gave my life to Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. And we have to understand that as we're moving forward, like we don't want you to walk through this life alone. Like Look around this room. This full room that John and Ruby prayed for. This is room is full of men and women of God that want to walk with you through life. Y'all, life can be hard. I believe that's why God gave us the body. So we don't have to walk through life alone. That we can be Jesus to one another. Show that mercy to one another. So I'm going to encourage you. If you, if you said yes to Jesus today, First of all, we have some disciple-making groups we'd love to get you involved in. Second of all, we want you to come back and be a part of us so that we can, we can laugh with you when times are good and cry with you when times are bad and, and pray with you and encourage you because this is the way God set it up. Some of you, you you've been going to church here for a while. And I'm, I'm going to challenge you. Go out of your way to show someone mercy this week. And when a situation comes up, you're like, oh, this, you, you feel that anger rise in you. Just know, this is the Lord giving you that opportunity to show mercy. It's not going to be fun, is it? Oh, it requires dying to yourself. I've never heard a time when dying to ourselves is fun. but it's good. Living for Jesus is good. Will you do me a favor, will you? Will you look at the person next to you and just let them know that you think they're great and that you're going to show them mercy?